Welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Hello. And welcome to this week's episode of Roadside. My name is Abigail. And my name is Janica. How are you, Janica, mother of mine? I am happy that I'm done with the workday. It's been a it's just been sh- stressful. Like, like you just said before we even yeah. started recording, like we've been, you've been out of your routine. I've been out of my routine. Like I work full time mm-hmm. in HR, but I also do Etsy mm-hmm. and I also do the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also do TikTok videos. You also do TikTok. Yep. On top of the DIY that I'm actually doing yep. for the TikTok video. But on top of that, I've also been doing some freelance work for HR. Right. And I told him today, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I mean, they're, he's perfectly nice, but it's like, I can't, I don't have the time or the energy to do it yeah. anymore. Like I got to stop doing some things. So Honestly, for a, quite a long time now, you have had multiple jobs. Pretty much my entire life. I feel most like, I've been of, like for as long as I can remember, mostly. Yeah, whether it's literally like going somewhere had. and working multiple jobs, or like I'm mm-hmm. doing something on my own, right? Outside like of you've a job. always like when you used to make the baby shoes. Oh yeah, I remember the baby. And shoes. I got carpal tunnel and I had to stop making baby shoes. Yeah, I remember that. But now that's um, been fixed. Thank goodness. <laughs> and then the signs and the stickers and the the rugs. Yep. She's always been yep. making something on the side. I am. I got yep. a creative brain, I guess. So, yeah, that's where I get it from. <laughs> yeah. So, what have you been up to? Nothing. I have been off work the past three days. And has that been good Which or is bad? Insane for me because I never get that many days off. No. And it has been so fun. I'm looking I've so forward been, to. <laughs> I've just been doing nothing. Good. Good. I feel like, like, I work five days a week, but I never get two days in a row. Oh yeah. So I'm usually off Mondays and Wednesdays, so I never get days in a row. So whenever I have multiple days in a row that I'm off, I feel like a brand new woman. (laughs) You know, like I get Get like recharge time. It's it's nice. It's good. So I've been having a lot of fun with it. I've been reading. Playing with my cats. Good. Yeah, yeah. I'm off. Refreshing. Well, 4th of July is on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I took off the Monday too. So I'm looking very forward to having a four-day weekend. Yes. And then I have a couple trips coming up too. So I'm going to have a lot of time off, but it's just all going to be very busy. Yeah. But Abigail and I are doing something fun on a a future trip that we're taking together so we're going to be talking about that on an episode we will we will be talking about that no yeah. hints no no secrets no for you. no not allowed to know we'll, sorry guys no not yet <laughs> just got to keep listening all right we also have a couple guests coming up we do we've scheduled yeah we've scheduled oh, a couple we guests yes we do yes yeah. so they're scheduled they're on the calendar so we've got exciting things happening so I'm excited. But before we start, I got to tell you a funny story. Okay, I'm ready. So I've been doing all this DIY in the backyard. Yeah. And, 
you know, I work out there Saturday and I work out there Sunday and I'll have like my shovel and my rake and my saw mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. And literally every time I put it away, I put it all away and lock it up because I'm like, I, I think of like the Velisca Axe murder house and I'm like, I'm not about to leave any kind of murder weapon laying outside. I don't care That's if it's a very rake smart. Or, or anything. Yes. That's very smart. Yeah. That's a good idea. Lock it all up, especially if it's a if it can be used as a weapon. Yeah. Previously, I you know like nobody really can see into my backyard. I might have just shoved it under the deck, but I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, I'm not leaving anything. Not out anymore. Here. Not anymore, dude. <laughs> nope. All right. One one more thing. Oh, one more thing. Yes. Um, Abigail and I are getting caught up. We were behind. We're getting caught up. We're getting those bonus episodes out for patrons. So if you want to be a patron, you get a free trial for seven days. You can listen to us more. Listen to our bonus episodes, our our yes. ramblings. Yes. Uh, Patreon.com slash roadside. You get yeah, a seven day free trial and then you can, you know, stick around if you want. Please. Yes. We would love that. <laughs> Very much. We love every all of our we love listeners. All of our patrons. We love all of our. We listeners. love all of our patrons too. <laughs> yes, we love all of you guys. Basically, we do. Sorry, I'm in a like babbling mood tonight because I think That's it's okay. just been. We can be in a babbling mood. It's our podcast. I mean, true, but I've just <laughs> been so stressed out the last couple of days. I think ever yeah. since I got back from Chicago, just because I've I've been so busy with stuff. But yeah, but I'm ready to listen. Okay. I didn't have to study, so, so I get to listen. This is going to be a little bit of a morbid one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, not that my last one was cheery, but... Yeah. So today we are talking about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. I saw this on... Was this on your list? Yes, it was. Oh, wait. Or did you mention this no, in an episode? we talked about this a couple episodes ago. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put that on my list. That's right. Okay. And I okay. was like, I got to do it. All right. I'm do ready. Do you know anything about this? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I remember specifically learning about it in middle school at my Catholic middle school. Okay. Out of the textbooks. And it's Triangle what? The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Shirtwaist? Yes. It was like a, a type of blouse, basically. That was oh. really popular. Okay. But I remember reading it from the textbooks and it was one of the only, it was one of the very few things in my history class that I actually found enjoyable and wanted to learn <laughs> more about. And of course, it's like a devastating disaster. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Let's get into it. Alrighty. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company. Okay. Was what it was, but they had the factory and it was at the factory. Okay. The factory, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, was one of the many sweatshops in New York City. Oh, oh, great. In 1911. Okay. And it is the site of one of the worst workplace disasters in U.S. history and ended up killing 146 employees in a fire. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Up until 9-11, obviously, this was yeah. the worst workplace disaster in the United States. Mm. God damn. So the factory, this factory made clothing, um, shirtwaists, which were like some old fashioned thing. It was like a, 
a shirt that women wore like every day. It was something everybody needed, basically. Can you describe it? Because I, I can't picture it. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I didn't, honestly, I didn't even look up a picture of a shirt waist at any point. Like, what's I'm a really shirt waist? Shirt waist. Is it W A I S T? Like your waist? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. It's a shirt waist. Hold on. Googling. Google to the rescue. Oh. Gotta figure out what this looks like because I just like I can't picture it. It's like a long sleeve, high neck blouse. Okay, I'm gonna look it up just briefly so I can see what it looks like. It too. looks it looks exactly like what you would see in every like early 1900s painting. Okay, like, so it's just it's like a um, it's just a shirt. Yeah, with like ruffles all over the front of it. Yeah, but it's it was like the fashion of the time. Like it could be Got seen it. As- like. It's got a high collar, uh-huh. like little pleats and long sleeves. And okay, now I, I yeah. had to get a picture of what this was. Sorry. <laughs> this was, it was a big fashion of the time and it was yeah. seen as very versatile. You could wear it on like casual occasions or more like fancy places. I don't know. This is what they made. This is all that they made were these shirt waists. Okay. Which is a weird word to say. It is. You say it over and over again. It's going to be like, that doesn't sound right anymore. So the factory was located on the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building, which was 10 stories high and located in Manhattan. Uh, The Ash Building is now called the Brown Building, but we'll get into that more later. Okay. So it's still there. It was owned, the factory, the company in general, was owned by Max Blank and Isaac Harris, but they often subcontracted people to bring in their employees. So they didn't really know their employees. They didn't really, they said they didn't really know how much they were paid or how little okay. they were paid. Okay. So they brought in like a, a separate hiring company or firm Basically. or whatever. To, to yeah. Okay. To do that because they were running the whole rest of the company. However, they, they, they act very innocent, mm-hmm. but they have a suspicious past, which we will get into. Okay. So this factory employed about 500 people, mostly immigrant teens and women, some as young as 13. Ooh. Yeah. And the working space was very overcrowded and employees were exhausted, very overworked. These employees worked from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. seven days a week. Seven days a week? Seven days a week. Holy shit, 13 hours a day. Yeah. During their 13-hour shifts, they were only allowed one break, and it was a half-hour lunch break. Ugh. This is why we have labor laws now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the seamstresses were paid $6 a week. Okay. Which today is $190 a week. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at 13 hours a day for seven days a week, that's not very much. No, it's not. <laughs> Some of the women even had to bring in their own sewing needles, thread, and sometimes their own machines from home. Wait, their needles, thread, and what? And their machines. Their whole sewing machine they had to bring from home. They weren't even, like, supplied this? I mean, there were, but, like, sometimes they'd be be like, bring your machine from home tomorrow, extra work. Huh. You know? Like, if you're going to bring it from home, why why can't I just work from home? (laughs) Right. I'm going to bring you what I'm... what I'm done with, okay? Anyways, many of these girls and women were not from here. They didn't speak English. Most of them were 
European, Southern European, Italian, okay. mostly Jewish. And a lot of them, like I said, didn't speak English. And these girls were specifically picked out uh-huh. to work in these sweatshops because if they're immigrants, they don't, they're in this new environment, they don't speak English, they won't become a part of any union. Oh, got it. And they won't speak up about their workplace conditions. Right. Let's talk about the fishiness that is Blank and Harris, the owners of Okay. The two actually were brothers-in-law. Oh. And they opened the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory business in 1900, moving into the Ash Building only a year after they started the company. And at first, they only had the ninth floor of the building. Okay. Each floor was a little over 9,000 square feet. Wow. Okay. Uh, So they began using this ninth floor as their factory space to make their products, which was the shirtwaists. And in 1902, two very suspicious fires broke out in the factory. Hmm. Fishy, fishy, right? Interesting. And then they had another factory from a, a different company called the Diamond Waste Factory that they were part of. Okay. Where two suspicious fires also broke out in this factory, one in 1907 and one in 1910. Hmm. But they, did they own these ones? Yes. Okay. So now four fires. Four fires, all within the span of eight years. Okay. So nothing crazy, you know. Is there some reason that it was suspicious? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Because Blank and Harris started the fires. Yeah. They were like, you know what is a great idea. We're strapped for cash. Let's take out these fire insurance policies. Ah. And then set fire to our places of business. What, if, what is with these men and fucking insurance? I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> Could not tell you. So they made their money, you know. By Wait, it wasn't like investigated? No. What? No. Oh, God. These are rich white guys in the early 1900s <sighs> running, their, running their little sweatshops. They're not going to get in trouble. Are you kidding me? Great. Yeah. That'll be a theme. Okay. Yay! <laughs> yeah. By 1909, they had also leased the 8th floors and the 10th floors of the Ash Building. So now they had 8 through 10. It was all theirs. And okay. it was only a 10-story building, so that was the top the top Got three it. floors. I also read in 1909, there was a strike led by the International Lady Ladies Garment Workers Union. Demanding higher pay and shorter hours. Mm. And Blank and Harris were known to be very, very anti-worker. Of course they were. During the strike, Blank and Harris were one of the very few manufacturers who resisted. And (laughs) what did they do to resist? What did they do? They hired police officers to dress as thugs. What? To attack (gasps) the women. That were striking. What the fuck? And then. Oh my God. When they were found out about, they were like, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. What did they do? They paid off the politicians. Everything was swept under the rug. Oh, Jesus. Yep. Yep, It's always about fucking money. It's always about the money. 
pay you pay the police officers and you pay the politicians just like oh i don't care about them as long as you as long as i get the money so this is the second time they've got off with something like this this is uh, i want to punch them already i know so the factory itself very overcrowded unsanitary badly Mm. ventilated Mm. and there was no sprinkler system even though they were around back then there was no sprinkler system just in case they needed insurance money again. God. So they they purposely did not put in a sprinkler system. They could have. They could have done that. But they were like, "Hmm, we might need to set the building on fire again, guys. Let's not do that just yet. Yeah. Genius. Genius, right? (laughs) On the factory floors, there were just rows and rows and rows of really cramped sewing machines. Like women lined up right next to each other trying to sew. And you know how much like elbow room you need when you're sewing? Yeah. A lot. But they were all just really squished together, basically. There were multiple floors, 10 floors of the building. They were the top three. There were four elevators. That's great, right? Yeah. Four elevators. Only one of them worked. Okay. There were two stairways that led down to the street, right? Yeah. One of the doors opened inward. Okay. So, like, anyways, one of the doors opened inward, <laughs> but. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Brain freeze? I had a brain fart. I had a brain fart right there. <laughs> anyways, one of the doors opened inward, okay. but the employees couldn't open it because of that. For some reason, there was like a. Like it was only you could only open it from the outside. Okay, that's not right. I think that's what I was trying to say. Not opening it. I yeah, I understand, but that's a very big safety hazard. Yeah, the other one was always locked. The other door was always locked. And so literally, no way to get out. There's no way to get out. The only person that held the key was the foreman. You were allowed (laughs) to leave when he got the key. Wow. So there was only one fire escape the whole building. But it was very narrow, very frail, very fragile. Yeah, I mean, fire escapes are not, like, great. Just just even the modern-day ones that you see, you know? Right, yeah. So they're kind of rickety. There were also no bathrooms on the factory floors. What? So in order to go to the bathroom, the employees would have to go downstairs, all the way downstairs, out to the street, and, like, find some place that has a bathroom. Oh, gross. No. But, but remember... They're not allowed any breaks except their 30-minute lunch. Not even to go to the bathroom? No. Oh, my God. So that's what we mean by unsanitary, you know? God, and being in HR, all of this stuff, I'm just like... I know. (laughs) No, 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 no. You can't do any of that. That's illegal. Yep. Uh, One of their other reasons for keeping the doors locked was to keep out union organizers who might influence the employees. Oh, my God. Yes. Because they don't want to treat their employees right. That's all leading up to where we're going. Okay. Great. You've you've painted a lovely picture. I appreciate that. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yes. March 25th, 1911, around 4.30 p.m., just around closing time, someone tossed either a cigarette or a match into a fabric scrap bin on the eighth floor in the cutting room. Someone. Someone. We don't know who. Okay. I have suspicions. You have suspicions? Mm-hmm. The fire spread 
very rapidly since there was just fabric everywhere. Fabric everywhere, yeah. No ventilation, nothing. So it's just... Within five minutes, the entire eighth floor was on fire. Oh my god, those poor people. A lot of the workers managed to warn the people on the tenth floor about the fire, but they could not get through the doors to talk to the people on the ninth floor. There was no fire alarm system to trigger anything. And the manager tried to put out the fire using the emergency fire hose, but the hose was rotted and the valve was rusted shut. So (sighs) workers from the eighth floor began to go into the stairwell and two very brave elevator operators took multiple trips up and down to get as many people out as they possibly could. Well, that's good. And they kept doing it until the elevator eventually broke down in flames. I want to say, by the way, you're not supposed to take an elevator in a fire, but I am glad that some people got to safety. Get people out. Yeah. And from doing that, they saved about 150 people. Wow. I know. The people on the 10th floor made it to the roof. Mm. And in the building next door, NYCU, NYCU, NYU campus was right next door. There was a class of law students that happened to see the fire and people asking for help. And I actually have a quote here from an NYU School of Law professor, Frank N. Sommer. Okay. And I'm going to tell you. It's a long quote. Okay. I was lecturing to a class of about 50 boys when suddenly we heard the whistles and gongs of fire engines. I threw open the door of the lecture room and then the door of the law school faculty room, which opens to an area, opens to an areaway separating our building from the one which had the blaze started. Some boys followed me, and we saw that in the ten-story building across the areaway was on fire. The blank, the open space between us and the building was filled with ascending smoke. There were ear-piercing shrieks, and girls mm. appeared at the window of the shirt factory. We hurried to the roof of our building, where two ladders had been left by painters, and boys shoved the ladders across the areaway to the windows on the opposite side. Mm. The lads worked like beavers, apparently never giving a thought to the possibility that their own building might catch fire from the flames mm. that were leaping out into the open space. How it was done, I don't know. But in a surprisingly short time, about 50 girls were brought to safety. Oh, my God. That's amazing. These NYU law students got ladders, two ladders, and reached them across so they could pull girls over to safety. (sighs) Like, just between... And and you're 10 stories above the street, too. Imagine trying to crawl across a ladder (sighs) like that. Oh, that's just like, I can't even imagine. You're escaping fire, but also 10 stories above the street. Just from these law students and the elevator operators, they saved 200 people. Wow. People are fantabulous. Just saying. Some. Most of the time. Most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, honestly, probably most people are. Yeah. But you got those few bad ones out there. Yeah. Other people were trying to find their way out, right? Running around, trying to find a way out of this fire. Some people tried to slide down the elevator cables. Oh, God. None of them survived. Mm. Um, I'm going to give some trigger warning right here. Okay. Some people also took to the fire escape, 
but it collapsed Ugh. on everybody. And the people on the ninth floor didn't even know the fire had begun until it arrived to them. Oh. And by then, there wasn't a lot to be done. By this time, people on the street started to see the smoke, and they were ringing alarm bells on the in the street-level fireboxes. Oh. Um, I don't know what that is, but huh. I think they were just to ring up the fire district. Yeah, I guess um, so. And But they were trying to also warn people up in the building. Yeah, oh yeah. Some of the ninth floor workers tried to escape through the stairwell, but their doors were all locked. Mm. Some made it to the roof or to the elevator, um, but some could not make it safely and chose instead to jump. Oh, God. People on the street said at first... They thought the owners were tossing out their more expensive fabric to save it. Ugh. But then realized it was the workers. And I have a very sad quote here that I'm going to read. Okay. It is a little bit disturbing. Actually, it's very disturbing. Okay. Journalist William Gunn Shepard wrote, I learned a new sound that day. Ugh. A sound more horrible than description can picture. The thud of a speeding body on a stone sidewalk. <sighs> Unfortunately, the firefighters arrived a lot too late. Yeah. And their ladders only reached to the sixth floor. Ugh. They decided to pull out the safety net for people who were jumping. Uh, yeah. All the safety nets broke immediately. <sighs> So 146 employees died in less than 18 minutes. Oh my god, that's awful. I know. And to think that it only took 18 minutes for all yeah. of that to happen. Yeah. Just makes you realize how fragile everything is, you know? It's the first time I've literally cried recording. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just it just brings me back to watching all the news coverage of 9/11 and seeing that, you know. Yeah. It's it was hard watching it. it was, yeah. I can't imagine being there in person. Yeah. In either instant, either instance, either this one or 9-11, you know, just, right. ugh. Or what those people were going through. Right. And a lot of them who had just arrived to the United States, hoping to make a better life here, mm -hmm. you know, and then this is what happens. Afterwards, after the fire and everything, it took quite a few days for all the bodies to be recovered. Ugh. And it took a much longer time before family members could identify each victim. Yeah. And actually, six of the victims remained unidentified for 100 years until 2011. Really? Yeah. In 2011, they did some kind of research project and they could figure out, like genealogy, they figured out who these women were. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I know. So after the fire, everyone is furious. There is an outrage across the city. I certainly hope so. The working conditions, activists from all over met at the Metropolitan Opera House a week after the fire to demand action on fire safety and to organize. And a few days later, more than 3,000, three, 350,000 people took part in the funeral march for oh. those who lost their lives. Wow. And on April 5th, 80,000 people marched on Fifth Avenue to protest the conditions that led to the fire. 
So there was a lot going on in New York and yeah. everybody was pissed off. Good, as they should be. Everybody exactly had a right to be. And this was kind of the catalyst of beginning workplace condition. Good. Stuff. I don't know how to stuff. Sorry. Laws and regulations. Laws and regulations is what I'm trying to say. I'm not being very eloquent, but. It's okay. This was kind of the start of that. Yeah. So after a lot of pressure from activists, the governor of New York created the Factory Investigation Commission before the year had ended. And this commission investigated nearly 2,000 factories and created eight new laws about fire safety, inspections, sanitations, employment rules for women and children. And then the next year, they pushed 25 more laws doing the same. Wow. Blank and Harris were both charged with manslaughter. No. No, not good? No. They were acquitted. Why? In December of the same year. Why? I don't know. There was no reason. (laughs) Also, they profited off of this. Of course they did, because of insurance. Blank and Harris were paid $400 per death. What? From their insurer after the fire, which is $16,000 per death today. Why? I don't know. Insurance. I guarantee the families of those people didn't see a dime of that. Well, in 1914, Blank and Harris were ordered to pay each family. Oh. But. Okay. You're taking me like up and down here. I know. They were only ordered to pay $75 to each family and only to the families of the 23 victims who actually sued. So only to the people who sued. Not for the rest of the families. By the way, $75 in 1914 today is $2,281. Oh, Lord. That is, no. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Nothing would ever happen to them. Uh, nothing. And it has never been proven that they were the ones to start the fire. Everyone, no websites I have ever said ever saw said anything about assuming that they started the fire or anything yeah it was just someone tossed a cigarette into a you know which i don't know if that's true or not but it's kind of fishy yeah especially seeing how there was four other fires before that yeah exactly so i really don't know what happened to the two of them wow i know but i hope they lived miserable lives same And are burning in hell. Same. I hope they're being haunted by every single one of those people. Oh, dude. I freaking hope so. Every single day of their life. I freaking hope so. That'd be funny. After the fire, the building was refurbished and it was sold to Frederick Brown, who ended up renting it out to NYU. Okay. And in 1929, he donated the building to NYU and it was renamed the Brown Building in his honor. Hmm. So the Brown Building was added to the National Register of Historic Places and officially made a historic landmark on July 17th, 1991. Okay. So it is one of our historic landmarks. And each year on the anniversary of the fire, the Remember the Triangle Fire Coalition organizes a memorial gathering. Oh, that's good. Yes. And in the building, uh, which is still in use today, there are memorial plaques for each of the victims in the building. Wow, for all of them? Mm-hmm. 
Wow, that's great. The Brown Building is still owned by NYU, so it is not open to the public because it's a college campus. Yeah. But it now holds classrooms and study rooms and research labs and even a library. And the very place where the fire began is now a chemistry lab. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that is the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. And is it haunted? I saw some stuff saying that it was haunted, but there wasn't a whole lot. Okay. I did read an article where someone who works in the Brown Building, like manages the Brown Building or something, talks about how he can feel the place Hmm. is haunted and like feel the ghosts sometimes. And sometimes he'll see like phantom flames out of the corner of his eyes. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. But (laughs) in the same article, he talked about how eerie it is just being in the building sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Even if you don't see or feel anything, just like what happened there, you know? Yeah. And And he also talked about how no matter where you look in the building, you're just going to be reminded. Mm. Like you see a water fountain. Well, they didn't have water fountains. Yeah. They weren't allowed to take a break to go to the bathroom. They didn't you know, have you bathrooms. See, you see a, a fire alarm and you're like, well, they could have used that. Right. They could have used that. You know, he just, he talks about how like, how the building has been made better for the people who work in it now, but just how sad it was that in the exact same place, right. in the same building, such terrible things happened. Yeah. Wow. That was an yeah. emotional roller coaster. It was. It was an emotional roller coaster to research. But it was also, I don't know, I really enjoyed researching it because it, it just like, I, I almost could like see my textbook again in my middle yeah. school desk, yeah. you know, listening to, uh, oh, what was her name? Mrs. Clodius. Oh, yeah. Claudius? Clodius? I think it was Clodius. I think it was Clodius. If you're out there, love you. <laughs> all right wow that's all i got okay well thanks you're welcome i guess yep sometimes there is disturbing history that is for sure yeah definitely yeah definitely so we're back on schedule now and um thanks guys for sticking around yeah sorry for a, kind of a bummer episode it's okay it's what, you but, know, we're given the history. I mean, honestly, I think this is important history. It's, it may be triggering for some people, you know, who remember 9-11, because I'm sure you don't. I don't. Um, you were only two. Yeah. So for people baby. that watched, watched all of that, you know, mm-hmm. and clearly not the same event, you know. Right. Or but very similar. Not the same number of people by any means. but. No. Just some of the things that happened, like, yeah. yeah. It can definitely seem like that. Yeah, what people will do in the face of danger and trying to save themselves, basically, or not suffer pain, I guess. Yeah. Alrighty, well, you can um, follow us on our socials. Follow us if you would like more content like this. Yes. Or any kind of history about any location anywhere in the world. and Could be spooky, could be not spooky, could be more historical. Yeah. 
You can uh, email us at roadsidepod at gmail.com and give us some suggestions. Yes. Um, you can follow us on TikTok at Roadside Podcast. On Instagram at Roadside Pod. On Facebook at Roadside Podcast. And on YouTube at Roadside Pod. You can also go to our website, which is roadsidepodcast.com, where you can find all of those things we just told you, all our social media, everything yep. you can find on there. Yep. Our Patreon, links to every episode, every, everything is there. Yep. Merch. Yep. Merch. We got some cool merch, if I do say so myself. Yeah, and I'm working on some more. Yep, made I'm by your truly, Janica, the mother of the podcast. Yes, I do. I make, I do make it, but I may not be making it much longer. <laughs> I got to free up some time for me, so I, I might be I outsourcing it. some. Uh, I get it. Some merch for our some listeners. So. What? Yep. Some labor. Oh yes, yes, it is. It's just it's time and it's time consuming and you know. Yeah. Gotta take time for yourself. Now. I only have so many hours in a day, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta sleep too. Yeah. Sometimes you do have to sleep. Sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, we love you all. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Mwah. Until next time. Keep finding the thrill in the mysterious. Ba ba ba. Bye. Okay, we love you. Bye.